Last week, the pastors did an incredible job talking about uh, fighting off fear. Thought they were incredible. I was out of town with my parents and my brothers and sisters. We were in uh, Colorado, and we were surprising uh, my parents with a 40th wedding anniversary vow renewal, kind of against their will, now that I think about it. We're like, you're gonna love her. Uh, and so we, we did that, and so it was kind of a surprise, so I couldn't really tell anybody, because uh, so many people watch online back home, we just wanted to surprise them. And uh, I wanna say thank you to the pastors for helping us out last week, did an incredible job. And now this week, we're going to be talking about what I think every person in this room and joining us online struggle with. Now, I need you to listen close. I'm absolutely certain that most of the time when I preach, you think I'm talking to somebody else. <laughs> in fact, many of you will say in the lobby to me, be like, that was such a great message. That had been perfect for my husband to hear. <laughs> or you'll say, my daughter needs, I'm gonna send it to my daughter. I totally understand that there are messages we, we, know the, you know, we know certain people and we know it could help them. But today, I really need you to understand, I think this is a message that affects every single one of us on different levels and every single one of us struggle with this particular fear in our lives. The Bible calls it the fear of man, the fear of man. Psychology would call it the fear of rejection. And this ongoing battle for so many of us, it's, if we were to just take a moment and just kind of think back over the choices that we've made, over the decisions that we've made that, if we were honest, were motivated by our care of what other people thought about us. Let's just be honest today, and, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure so many of us have spent money that, that honestly, we did that. We purchased something, we did something because we cared what other people thought. You know, it's like the old statement says that you'll spend money you don't have on stuff you don't need for people you don't like. I think if we were honest today, we can see this in in, in our posts on social media that when we scroll through social media, it just so happens that they post that picture and their living room is absolutely spotless. Come on, somebody, don't leave me hanging. You know, when you see people post pictures of their toddlers and they look amazing, and you're like, I have toddlers, and that's just, they don't look like that ever. <laughs> and, and so you'll see things, and if we were honest today, if we were honest, some of the posts we've seen or posts that we have put up ourselves are because we care what a lot of other people think about us. I think also it could be with the clothes that we wear, it could be with the people we've dated, and so on and so on and so on, simply because we are worried about what other people think. Sometimes we're afraid to share an idea at work because we're afraid we're gonna get shut down and someone's gonna make fun of us and the boss won't listen. Maybe you're in this room today and you said like during that prayer time and I'm encouraging you to just get in God's presence and open your heart. You know, the Bible says that he would, that every man raise their hands without wrath and without doubting. It's a sign of surrender to God. And, and when I'm asking you to raise your hand, a minute you thought, some of you in this room, you were afraid to do it because you worried what would people think? Come on, Amen. And maybe you're in the room and maybe you have felt to attend a small group, but you wonder, what would people think? 
Maybe you not just to attend a small group, but to start a small group, and what would people think? If I went down to the altar in a moment of prayer, what would people think? Some of you have had struggles and sermons have hit you so hard. And the the question was, if you're here and you're struggling, I want you to raise your hand. And pride got the best of you. You didn't raise your hand. Not saying anything detrimental happened, but you were too afraid and too motivated by what people think to raise your hand and be honest in the presence of God. If we were honest today, I think we can raise our kids thinking about what other people think. We're afraid to correct our children because of what other people think. I was just in Colorado, like I said, and my kids were acting up just a tad. And I thought, you better thank God we're in Colorado, because I don't know what they believe here, but when I get you back to Mississippi, (laughs) it don't matter. I've seen people at Walmart whip kids that weren't even theirs. (laughs) Don't matter here. There's like no rules in Mississippi. (laughs) Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man, listen to me will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I like the way the Amplified translation says it. It says the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in and puts his confidence in the Lord will be exalted and safe. This scripture is letting us know that if we have the fear of man in our lives, it eventually will prove itself to be destructive in our lives. That if we live motivated by what people think and afraid of people's opinions of us, it could have a destructive nature in our marriage, in our relationships, in our business, and even, hear me today, according to the word of God, it affects our faith in God. It reminds me of a story in the Bible of a man in the Old Testament. His name was King Saul, and there was a prophet by the name of Samuel. And I love this thought here. God speaks to the prophet Samuel to relay a message to King Saul, and he goes to King Saul and informs him that he is to take over a certain region, and and to do that, he's supposed to follow these certain directions. Well, the Bible lets us know that King Saul goes and does the battle. When he comes back from the battle, the Bible informs us that he didn't do everything right. He won the battle, but he didn't exactly follow the procedures and the plans that God had set in place that he was to follow. Well, God tips off the prophet Samuel later, and the prophet Samuel now comes to King Saul and says to him, like, you didn't follow what God told you. So I know you won. I know the bottom end result's the same, but at the end of the day, you are not obedient fully to what God asked you to do. And notice what King Saul says, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their Voice, notice something. Who you fear is who you will obey. And the king Saul lost his kingdom that day, beginning the transcendence, or the descendence of his, his, his kingdom. It began to demise that, that, that moment because he let what people think determine his life. Hear me today, if you're taking notes, write this down. If we live in fear of man, 
we develop an addiction for approval from man. If we live in fear of man, we in turn will develop an addiction for the approval from man. When we talk about addiction, the difference between this kind of addiction and maybe a substance abuse is that substance abuse becomes more obvious as time goes by, as their life begins to spiral out of control, relationships and jobs and things like that. The difference with approval addiction is that it is so subtle because it's so socially acceptable. And it's really hard to discern if there are people struggling with approval addiction. Now, here's the truth. The more you and I fear man, the more our fear for man increase, our need for their approval intensifies. As we fear them, as we care too much about them and what their opinion is of us, in turn, our hunger for their approval of us intensifies. Now again, I know for a fact you're thinking I'm talking to somebody else. Just a hunch. And, and I wanna ask you a few questions that maybe will help you understand if you're struggling with an approval addiction. And these are from different sources. I'm just gonna read these to you. Number one, do you crave compliments and affirmation of others? Do, number two, do you show favoritism to certain people because you desire their approval? Number three, are you overly concerned with how you look and dress? Number four, do you think about your self-worth and self-esteem a lot? Number five, I love this one, do you feel painfully unappreciated? Number six, do you justify your mistakes and shift the blame to others because you can't handle failing in front of others? Number seven, are you overcommitted? Meaning you can't say no to anybody, don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. Number eight, are you easily embarrassed? And number nine, do you compare yourself to others and feel good when you win and feel envious when you lose? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, feel guilty just from hearing those questions? Just being honest today, you feel like, yes, those are some things I can squirm in my seat about, knowing that I have some approval addiction tendencies in my life. I have a, a desire to be liked, a desire to, be, to get good feedback, the desire to be approved from others. And it's interesting that we are living in a, what, like they, like a Google review culture where it like really matters because there's like instant feedback in how we're doing in life and how we're doing in business and what people say about us on social media and all these things. In fact, how many of you have an iPhone in here? You got an iPhone? How many of you have, let's do this, it's actually be easier. If you have an Android phone, raise your hand. What are you guys doing? <laughs> Can we stretch your hands? Keep them up, stretch your hands forth. Let's cast a demon out of somebody. I don't know how you function with an Android phone. But may the, we, you're welcome, our, our church. We bless you. <laughs> but on the iPhone, for those of you who are Android users, just check out. You can leave, get a coffee. We'll be back to you in a minute. <laughs> but for Apple users, when you send a text back and forth to people, you used to just be able to respond, say, okay, LOL. Now they've moved to this, this concept here. I don't know if you can see. There you go. There you are. Now, I get what heart is, I get the thumbs up, the th I get the thumbs down, 
I get the ha ha. I get the question mark. The one I really struggle with when somebody does it back to me, I don't know, I never know what to feel about the exclamation points. Am I alone on this? Does anybody know what that means? What does it mean? Holler it out. Okay, everybody sounded like they were drunk just now. Let's try that again. Somebody was talking clear over here. What was it? Emphasizing, she said. Emphasizing what? Are you with me? That makes no sense. When I read it, all I see is like, Anybody know what I'm talking? How many of you are, are confidently use the exclamation point? Be honest, you confidently. You are deceived. How are you confident? How do you know? Help you, Jesus. And we've moved it. Let me go a little further. We've moved it a little deeper into social media. Social media used to just be like. Now here's another one. Look at social media. Look, what is this? What is this? What is that? What is the one thing? Third, uh, this one, the third from the right. What is that thing doing? Oh, 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 I don't know. What would you use that one for? Tell me what that one's Laughing? Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. Wow, okay, all right. How many of you use the wow one confidently? <laughs> Again, it's the same hands from the screwy exclamation point, people. I, I say that to say we're living in a feedback culture, and we are learning to adapt to feedback. And one of the worst places, in my opinion, is social media. Social media is a new advent in our entire culture. We've thousands of years that this has never existed until just in recent world history have we had this kind of instant access to the approval of others. Did you know that on social media, 30 to 40% of the time in day-to-day -day life, not on social media, we talk about ourselves, 30 to 40%. On social media, people talk about themselves 80% of the time. So you can see just from those numbers that people are looking for places to receive attention, affirmation, identity. They're looking and searching, so we're posting, trying to get likes and attention. Think of the, think of the implications of this on the next generation. So many of you may have been older when this came out, social media and all of these things. But what's interesting about social media, the younger generation, up to 95% of teens ages 13 to 17 report using social media platforms within over, uh, within over, okay, hold on, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. 13 to 17 year old people say that they use social media almost constantly. Ages 10 to 19 undergo the most highly sensitive brain development in this season of their lives. This is where self-worth is formed. So if they're spending so much time on social media, and I'm not hating on social media, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, I think it can be a good thing, but the problem is you have a generation finding their identity and how many likes they get on social media. Who's double tapping the pictures? 
who's getting, how many followers do I have? And they feel their value is coming from this profile online. Now, it's easy for us to be judgmental of maybe a younger generation, but we do the same thing. We fight the same struggles. It just looks different. They're on Instagram. You all still on Facebook. (laughs) The Center for Disease Control and Prevention, talking about a younger generation, says that suicidal thoughts among youth between the ages, between the year 2010 and 2020, has increased 40%, 40%. Depression rates have rose 70% over the last 25 years. I want you to think about this. Since we've had social media in our lives, the rate of suicide has gone up among teenagers. The depression rate has soared among people because social media has proven that it is not able, hear me, to satisfy the thirst of approval. It's like drinking salt water, that you think it tastes like this is gonna satisfy my thirst, but salt actually dehydrates you. And so we have people drinking salt water on social media, trying to get affirmation and attention and identity and approval, and while they're drinking it, it's actually harming them. Are you with me today? In the book, Digital Minimalism, I read it not long ago, and it's so powerful. There's several thoughts. It's written from a secular point of view about the danger of social media. What makes social media so dangerous, we're talking about dealing with the fear of man and the fear of God. Uh, we're talking about struggling with our fears of man. It said two things people have an innate desire for in this book. It said two things. Number one, positive reinforcement, and number two, social approval. Those two traits have existed long before social media, but social media it now has intensified and made more readily available those innate desires that we have. So think for a moment, think for a moment. How many of you remember before Facebook, from before Facebook, anybody in here? Okay. How many of you ever had like a, how many of you ever had a Zanga? Anybody remember that? If you raise your hand if you had a Zanga. Okay, only us three. We were friends on Zanga. Isn't that amazing? Zanga was a page that was, never mind, you guys don't care. Let's talk about something else. Facebook, at some point, just was started by a man named Mark Zuckerberg for his classmates to keep track of each other's lives. Well, he began to understand, and their team began to understand that to get it more interactive, they thought, why don't we put a like button on social media? A like button. So, so look at this right here. We've all seen this, this like button. In the book, it says, it's hard to exaggerate how much the like button changes the psychology of Facebook use. What began as a passive way to track your friends' lives was now proven to have a deep psychological effect. A deep psychological effect. That now people post to try to get as many of these as they can. They post selfies, try to get as many of these as we can. Science will show you that it has a dopamine hit. There's a release, there's a reward when you get a lot of likes. And what's interesting about social media, when they first started, and this is in the book, when, when, when Facebook then started to send notifications, because they always didn't send notifications, when they had to start notifying the users that you're getting a like on a picture or a comment on a post, the, the originally was just down at the bottom, it was just a blue dot, that, that fit the landscape and the color palette of Facebook. Well, they noticed no one was interacting with it. 
So what they did as a result is they switched it to something red, and we've all seen this. And that red dot, they said that you could not calculate the interaction coming in immediately the moment they switched notification from blue to red. Now what they were doing was getting you addicted to approval. One like at a time, one attention at a time. You noticed me, you, you, you liked my picture, my selfie, my post with my kids. One quote is saying in the book, checking your likes is like the new smoking. The lady, her name is Leah Perlman. She was the person who engineered the beginning of the red, red indication on the, the notifications. That she said later that it was so toxic. She's the one who started it. Left Facebook and said that the like notifications and the red bell in the corner became so toxic that her and her family do not use Facebook at all. People who engineered it, created it, sold it to us, got us addicted, don't even use it themselves. Isn't that interesting? They see the psychological effect. In fact, in the book it says, it's an exploitation of the vulnerability in the human psychology, meaning they spend billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to get you and our attention. It's an attention culture we live in. It's an attention economy. So they know billions and billions and billions are going into figure out your algorithms, what you like, to see what you wanna see, to do what you wanna do, to customize your experience on social media. And they know that if you keep getting approval from people, you'll keep coming back, intensifying our fear of man. We need positive reinforcement and social approval. Now, let me, just, let me just lighten up for a minute and just let's take a breath. If I were honest with you today, when I'm up here preaching, people can assume that I have this under control and it's easy for me to just tell you and get it together and, and get your life right and I'll see you next Sunday. Can, can I tell you the absolute truth? This is something that I personally struggle with. We all struggle with this, this fear of man. Did you know even in my own personal life as a pastor, Sometimes I worry, oh, people, when, they, when I find out someone's gonna leave the church. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, been around this my whole life. And when someone leaves the church, you know, they'll say, Pastor, we, we love the church, we just, you know, we hate you, or something like that. It's like, ha, ah, please, <laughs> okay. So sometimes that happens. Even if they don't say that, Pastor, we're just moving on. And I get it, people come and go in seasons of their life and people move and people pass away and changes come. And sometimes it is seasons that God moves people on. But there are other times it's hard to hear because eventually, and sometimes in my own head, I'm sitting there thinking, what is it about me you don't like? I'll take it personal. That's why pastoring is hard because you love your people and when they leave, it just like, it rips your heart out and you're wondering, what don't you like about me? And so what's really tempting for a pastor or in your own life is to start making adjustments like, do you, do you like me? What do you, what do you need me to do? Do you want me to wear cowboy boots when I preach, baby? I'll do it. Like, what do you need me to, like, what, what version of me do you need me to be? Because just like you, preachers struggle with approval addiction too. Am I helping you today? And, and so in my own life, I'm trying to grow in my fear and respect for God rather than for man. And even in preaching. So yes, in pastoring, but in preaching as well. I, a lot of times in the lobby, people will say to me, Pastor Ethan, we're so thankful that you just tell the truth. 
You get up there, you, you're not afraid to hit hot topics of the day and tell us what the word of God says. And they'll say, you know, I've gone to this church and no one said it. And no one just, you hit it direct, you hit it straight. And, and, and to be honest with you, you know, when I'm up here preaching on certain topics, sometimes I'll get up here and I'll start talking about, the, and I don't do it a lot, but if you come, you know there are times that we have to talk about transgender, um, those ideas floating around in culture. We talk about homosexuality and the Bible teaching it being a sin and talk about being uh, that God, that life started in the womb and we speak about those things and, and, and can I be honest with you? So a lot of times you're perceiving that I am as courageous and I am as bold as a lion and I'm not afraid of anybody but can I tell you sometimes when I'm up here preaching those things, I got things going through my head too. And I feel like, you know what, I'm gonna preach on tithe. I know there's a bunch of people who don't believe in tithing in here. Inside of me, I know there's somebody, here I am trying to preach on honoring relationships and, and waiting till you're married before you're living together. And I know there's a bunch of people in here that probably living together and not liking what I'm saying. And I could get up here and start preaching on certain topics. And I know it isn't popular and people don't like it. And deep inside, I start feeling the fear of man. But at the end of the day, the Bible teaches that as a pastor, that I'm going to stand before God and be judged more strictly for what I say in the pulpit. So meaning that I can either worry what you think or I gotta worry what he thinks. It may not always be comfortable, but at the end of the day, I have a priority and a calling to tell you the truth, whether you like it or you don't, because when I get to heaven, my mama ain't gonna be there, you ain't gonna be there, my church attendance ain't gonna be there, my trophies won't be there, my daddy, my wife, my kids, it will be me. And he will say, did you tell them? And what happens is if I'm afraid of the people, if pastors are too afraid of the people, they cannot effectively lead the people. We can, we can love, I'm gonna preach, <laughs> I'm getting wild. If, 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 if we can love you and respect you and pray for you and honor you and care for you, but the Bible never teaches we're supposed to be afraid of you. I'm not saying that ugly and I'm not saying it mean. I'm just telling you the reality is that when you're in my position, you'll be tempted to adjust your ministry because you're afraid of people. That's why in the Bible, the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when God calls them into the ministry, the very first thing he tells them, he doesn't give them a three-point sermon yet. He doesn't tell them anything. He doesn't tell them the cities they're gonna go to. He tells them, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about what people are gonna do. Just, and he actually tells Ezekiel, I'll make you as stubborn against them as they are stubborn against you. And so he, he informs them that you cannot be afraid of the people you're speaking to because the temptation is that you're gonna change your message and you're gonna change your method. Here's the reality. In the scriptures, if we're too afraid of people, we won't be able to leave people. And watch me, just for a moment, I'm trying to help you. It's something we all struggle with. Galatians chapter one, verse 10. I am now trying to win, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Paul is saying, I can't do both. Paul says, I can't do both. I can't make one person happy and do this. Now here's the danger. The Bible teaches there's two ditches here. We can go from one extreme to the other. Are you with me? One extreme to the other. 
when you have two extremes. One extreme is this. You care too much what people think and you're controlled by the fear of man. Are you with me? The other extreme is that you care not what people think and you're motivated and you care about yourself. That's a dangerous place to be. Both ditches are dangerous. The one ditch is simply this, that you are too controlled by the opinions of others and what people think about you. The other extreme is this, is that when you are in this ditch, you don't care what anybody thinks and it's just about you. Am I talking to anybody? Here's the scary thing about that ditch. You can walk out of this sermon today and think you could go act up and fight with somebody in the parking lot of the church and say, Pastor Ethan set me free. I don't care what anybody thinks. Like, no, Pastor Ethan didn't set you free, <laughs> and you need to care what people think. Because hear me, these extreme views are very dangerous. Because God made us to be considerate of others. That means that we, it's not that we don't care about other people, it's just that we have our priorities straight. Are you with me? We have our priorities straight. Proverbs 29, 25, watch this. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in and puts his confidence in the Lord will be exalted and safe. So, the, so the, the reality of it is when we're dealing with the fear of man, when we deal with the fear of man, we have a decision to make. Here's the decision. You can either live for the approval of others or from the approval of God. Matthew chapter three. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This is what I want you to catch, verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God just approved his son verbally in front of everybody, in the ears of Jesus and all the people around. Now, watch this, the next verse Matthew chapter four, verse one, just right here, this quick jump. It says, then Jesus was led to the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, did you catch that? He says, if you are the son of God, if you are, he was just told he was the son of God. But now here's what we're running into we're running into a problem. He's now self, the enemy is coming first and foremost to make him doubt who he is in Christ. That is the first instinct of the enemy is to come and try to get the devil to second, or try to get Jesus to second guess God's approval of him. Hear me, if he can get you to doubt who you are in Christ, he knows that you'll try to develop your identity from other external sources. So if you don't know who you are in Christ, you're gonna find yourself jumping from bed to bed to bed to bed because somebody could say the right words that you didn't hear what God's word said about you. Am I talking to anybody? You go from person to person, from church to church, from battle to battle, and sometimes those are the results of us not being, being solid and being confident in who we are in Christ. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example that there are some people that can say, Pastor Ethan, I'm just trying to find a good man, and I can't find a good man. All I do is attract crazy men. I'm not saying you're crazy. I wouldn't say that, but I would tell you this. I would tell you this. When you don't know who you are in Christ, 
Dysfunctional people can easily discern those they can manipulate. So you're going to attract dysfunctional people in your story and in your life. Why? Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, easily manipulated. Am I helping anybody today? When you look at your story, when you look at your life, when you look over your relationships, when you look over your your, your decisions, will you look like Saul and you compromised your life because you were afraid of what people thought? 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. What does that mean, Pastor Ethan? We're talking about fear not. Let, let me tell you what it means. He is saying this, if you're dealing with fear, you haven't let God's love be experienced in your heart fully. Can I tell you this? When I feel fear of man, I remind myself that I'm not fully understanding how much he loves me, how much he approves of me, how much he cares about me, that my identity needs to come from him, not from others. Are you with me? I love the story in the Bible excuse me, the story I heard years ago about uh, G. Campbell Morgan. In 19, or excuse me, 1888, he was a young and up-and-coming preacher. And in this season of his, of his ministry, he was just a young guy, and they put him on the platform, and he had to test trial preaching in front of three men. So he gets up and he preaches to, to this, this committee. And these men were gonna decide if he was called to the ministry or not. Interesting approach. The story goes on that after he does his, his little message, he then afterwards came to the lobby where there were two, two pieces of paper posted on the wall. One paper said accepted. One paper, one paper says rejected. One paper says accepted. One paper says rejected. And he goes and he looks at the accepted paper and he cannot find his name and he is absolutely devastated. He cannot find his name on the accepted list of these ministers, this approval to be sent into the ministry. He looks over at the rejected list and the first name on the list was him. He was so devastated that he telegraphed, he telegrammed his father with one word, rejected. And a few days goes by and his father sends a message back with the simple words that said, rejected by man, but accepted by God. When you and I live a life worried about the approval and the acceptance of others, if we're not careful, we'll end up like Saul. We could end up living a life limited and broken and frustrated. Or we could be like G. Campbell Morgan, who has out of that meeting ended up preaching for 60 years. He preached more than 23,000 sermons, wrote over 70 books and reached thousands for Christ. Because at the end of the day, we have to live. Listen to me, look right here. We have to live for an audience of one. We love everybody. We thank God for everybody. We're no better than everybody or anybody. We, we thank God for people in relationships, but, but, but God called us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his values. And what does, what does God think? So if you will, just stand with me all over the room.
I really just want to ask you two questions. I really just want to ask you two questions. I guess the first one would be, are you struggling with the approval from others? Do you care too much what they think? Are you struggling in your mind about it? Do you let it dictate you? Do you are you frustrated with yourself because you know you're, you're letting this become a part of your story and it's too strong? It's just, it's just too much in your life. You're eat up with what people think about you. How many followers you got? How much attention you receive? And the second one is, are you struggling with approval from God? You're struggling with approval from God. This one's more common than I think most of us want to admit. Because most of us love Jesus in this room. We love God. We love church. We, we love preaching. We love the Bible. But if we were honest, we feel like God is like this. He's, he's, he's mad at you and he's upset at you and, he, and you can't please him like he's a big angry dad in heaven and when you mess up, he's gonna, he's gonna step on your head and he's gonna kill you and give you cancer and he's gonna do that. People think like this. So it robs us of our confidence to come to church. It robs us of our confidence to pray. It robs us of our confidence in our relationship with God because we're struggling with if God's... What, But this is what the Bible teaches. I want you to listen. The Bible teaches that those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Let me say it like this. The Bible says that he hath made him, talking about Jesus, become sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that God treated Jesus on the cross like he would have treated us and then treats us like he would have treated Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. What does that mean? Hear me. That Jesus lived a perfect life, went to the cross for you and me. The Bible says on the cross received the wrath of God, that it pleased God, the Bible says, to bruise him. To put on him everything that belonged to us. Our shame and punishment for our, our, our sins and punishment for our arrogance and punishment for this and, and put it all on Christ 2,000 years ago so that he could look at you and give you the like. So that he can let you know that I approve of you. Many people today have struggled over and over. You love God, you love his church, you love his word, but hear me this morning. You're struggling because you feel like God does not approve of you. Can I tell you today, I can't speak to everything in your life. I just want you to know, God loves you and he is committed to you. He is the potter and he's not throwing the clay away. He's gonna keep working with you. He's gonna be shaping you. He's gonna keep mending you because he approves of you. He loves you. With eyes closed all over this room today, if you're in this room and you feel like I just want to fight through this approval addiction I'm struggling with. I want to pray with you that today you're going to begin that freedom process of walking in the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus Christ, please don't leave this room without saying yes to him. I think you all over this room can attest that the best thing you've ever done in your life was give your life to Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody. So if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, please do me a favor. Do me a favor. Consider greatly before you leave committing your life to Jesus. He's your Lord and your Savior. In fact, I'll ask this question. If you're in this room and you know you're going to heaven, 
you know you've given your life to Christ and you're on your way to eternal life, do me a favor, slip your hand up all over the room for me. All over the room. You just know. By faith, you know. Doesn't mean you understand. You just know by faith. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Now, every person who couldn't raise your hand, I'm talking to you. Do not leave this room without saying yes to Jesus Christ. He gave everything for you. Took on your sin so that you can live in freedom today. And the Bible says all we got to do is call on the name of the Lord and he'll save us. So I want everyone to include themselves in this prayer. Say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me new today in Jesus' name. I pray a new life, a new day, and I'll follow you in, for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together. Give God a big praise. I'm not, I'm not who you say I am. I'm not who mama says I am. I'm not who statistics say I am. I'll go a little further. I'm not who I say I am. I am who God says I am. And if I know who I am in Christ, the devil is after the identity of a generation. Why do you think he's fighting so hard to screw their heads up in 2023? He's trying to throw us off our, off our game early on in life. He's attacking the next generation because he is afraid that if they ever get into this and they start finding out who God says they are, they're gonna walk in the, the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. But I've come today that there's gonna be a comeback in the Word of God in the United States of America. I preach that, I declare it over this church that we're gonna know who you you say we are, not what men say we are. We're going to walk in the fear of God and not in the fear of man. Come on, give God praise and glory. Come on, let's sing all the go over the room. Raise your hands all over the place. Hands on your heart. Declare this.